Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to uh, continue in our series two in the book of Luke, and we're going to read uh, God's word from Luke chapter one. The Bible reading today is from verse 57 to 66. So if you have your Bibles there, flick them open to Luke chapter one, or it'll be on the screen behind me as well. It says this from verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to, the circum, uh, to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Morning everyone. Uh, is it too early to say Merry Christmas? to get into the mood, to realise this is a special season for us uh, and I'm excited to get into the story of Luke, how he prepares us for Christmas Day. So how about I pray that God will speak to us through this passage this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father God, uh, just thank you for this season. Thank you amongst the hustle and bustle we can get here together to draw near to you, to hear you speak to us this morning. I pray that you will do that through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. What is it about Christmas that brings you joy? You know, we sing joy to the world. It is meant to be a season of being happy, to be joyful. But, you know, I'm a realist. Not always we're feeling happy and joyful. In fact, Christmas can be quite draining. So I think Christmas can be a bit of a test to see how we're feeling. I'm going to throw up three pictures on the board and I want you to uh, think about how do these pictures make you feel? Joyful or like just tired? First one. Is presents, gifts. Do you, are you the sort of person, I love buying gifts. I love wrapping them up. I love giving them to people. I love the look on people's faces like that kid there. Is that the sort of joy that you think of when you think of gifts? Or is it, ah, oh, I've got to buy more presents. And then I've got to wrap them and then I've got to give them. Is it like, ah, oh, what a drag. Is it that sort of thought? You're feeling not joyful. What about the food? I love the idea of food at Christmas. You walk in, the table's all set, there's a bit of everything there. I like to get a plate, the sm get the smells and the colours, get a bit of everything and arrange it on the plate and just to be, oh, your senses overload, the senses are satisfied, in fact, maybe too satisfied with all this food. That's a big part of joy at Christmas, is the dinner banquet, you might say. Or is it the thought of seeing that table going, oh, that's right, I've got to buy this, I've got to prepare that. All the cooking in the hot kitchen, I've got to get this all ready. What a drag, this day's going to be so big, so busy. It's stripped the joy out of Christmas Day. Is that how you're feeling? Or what about, is it the people? 
The people you come to catch up with, some people you don't see for 12 months. Maybe some family members only get together every Christmas or sometimes every second Christmas. So it's an opportunity to get together, to go, hey, how's your family going? How's work going? And just to catch up and reconnect after all that time. That that's a big part of your Christmas that brings you joy. Or do you think, ah, oh, yeah, the people. Yeah, we only get together once a year for a reason and yes i get caught up in the back corner and they go on and on about their family and on and on about their work and oh that doesn't bring me joy for christmas i think all these things bring this tension sometimes we get really full full of full of joy about christmas season but other times like i don't know whether i'm feeling it this year there's a lot of things i'm just not feeling joyful about well, this morning we're going to try and bring the joy back into Christmas. So we're going to ask a question about the first Christmas. Were they even joyful in this first, very first Christmas? And if they found joy in the first Christmas, what did they find joy in? What made them happy? What, what filled their tanks? And then if what filled their tanks did it for them, should I expect it to do it for me some 2,000 years later? Should I be joyful about that sort of thing. Has that got anything to do with me? So we're going to dig a bit deeper into that this morning and we're getting into this, patch, this chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1, it's before the birth of Jesus, so we're not even going to um, get to the birth of Jesus, the, the Christmas day that we celebrate, but we're still in the build-up to the Christmas day. And we've been in this chapter for a little while and Ben read the passage out, or pa the start of this passage, where it gets us into the story and we meet uh, a couple of people here uh, this is the first of three big pictures that we get that draw attention to fill us with joy in anticipation of Christmas. So the first one is we meet this person, uh, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zachariah. They've uh, just had this baby. Now, if you've been along the journey for these last few weeks, you'll see Elizabeth and Zachariah. Zachariah was a priest, a Jewish priest. Uh, Jesus was born a Jew. Uh, so they're religious people. They are God's people at that time. And for Elizabeth and Zachariah, they had uh, got to a certain age where they couldn't have kids, they'd given up on kids, they'd tried to have kids, but no kids. So they're old, no kids. And an angel turns up to them and says, hey, guess what? God has shown you favour. He's going to allow you to have a baby. It's going to be a boy and you're going to call him John. And Zachariah, the priest, is a God-fearing man and believer in God, how can this be? Ask questions of the angel. And she says, no, 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 no questions. Actually, as a punishment, you're not allowed to speak until this is fulfilled. You're not allowed to speak till the baby's born and you name him John. So all of a sudden, Zachariah, the priest, one who often preaches, he's the, the older man in the story, he's silent. His tongue's closed, you might say. He's not allowed to speak for the rest of the birth, for, for nine months or so. But now we get to this day, for some people, that might be a punishment. I think Elizabeth was quite okay with that. The whole period of the pregnancy, husband's not speaking. She could run the house, do whatever she wants in that time. So I think she's probably a bit okay with it. But now we get to the time, the birth of the baby, she has the baby. And like the angel said, it's a boy. And it all happens, it all unfolds. We're getting to this moment now where it's being fulfilled. Now, if you're a friend or a relative of uh, Zachariah or Elizabeth, you're starting to think, well, how can this be? 
We've been watching them. We've been hoping they have kids, but in the younger years, didn't happen. Middle years, didn't happen. Now they're old. It's not going to happen. But now it's happened. What do you think their friends and relatives are thinking? Well, we're told, because we're told her neighbours and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. This is a good moment. It's like a miracle, isn't it? I mean, it's always a miracle when a baby's born, when you think of all the complications and how it all happens, that God's hands on it. But for an older person who's been barren, they could not have kids. Now to have a child, all the friends and neighbours go, wow, this is unexpected, totally unexpected. We've got to feel the weight of seeing what's going on here. But then the time comes, another celebration point in the life of, if you're living in that time, is on the eighth day, we're told what comes up, verse 59, on the eighth day, they come together for a ceremony. When the kid's eight days old, they circumcise the child. If you're not sure what that means, ask your parent. But they also do a second thing. They have a naming ceremony. This is what the child's name's going to be. They don't always do this, but this is what they're doing. So you can imagine, the first eight days, this child is born, it hasn't got a name. So on the eighth day, they're anticipating what's his name going to be. And you can imagine they've invited everybody, their friends and their family, their neighbours, all to the ceremony. It's a bit like when uh, sometimes we have a baptism here of a child, a young child here. People will invite their, their family members and their friends to come along. We make a bit of an event out of it. Maybe afterwards, we go, uh, they go and have lunch together. It's a bit of a big deal, this whole service, this whole ceremony. And for them... All their friends and their relatives are there and they're expecting uh, this child to be named finally after the eighth day and you can imagine the, the priest or the minister up the front holding up the baby, I'm not sure how this happened, but holding up the baby and to say his name is Zach because that's what they do, they name the child after the dad, it was the tradition that they did. His name is Zach. And Elizabeth pipes up, the mum pipes up, she's sitting up the front up here, she goes no, 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 no. Not naming him Zachariah, I'm naming him John. John. It's like if you're going to name somebody, Zachariah is a pretty fancy name, right? If you're going to not name him Zachariah, it's got to be a fancy name. And what fancy name are they going to name him? John. It's like, you're going to name him John? And you see that this is another unexpected moment. You can imagine the crowd, the relatives, like, how can you do this? And they get beside her up the front. Are you sure you want to do this? John, I mean, Zachariah. Remember, Zachariah, the dad. He was named after Zachariah, his dad. He was named after Zachariah, his dad. He was named after Zachariah, his... Zachariah, right? And she goes, no, no, no. An angel told me his name is John. Can you imagine how scandalous that is amongst the family? You can imagine the neighbours sitting up the back and going... Did you just hear that? You name the child after the dad. And they're not going to name him Zachariah, they're going to name him John. Maybe Zachariah's not the dad. Who's John? <laughs> Do you know a John? Is a milkman John? It's like, you know what neighbours are like, right? They're just having this conversation. This is unexpected. This is unusual. What is going on? So this is not good enough. So they go to Zachariah himself. Let's not trust Elizabeth. Let's ask Zachariah. So they go to Zachariah. Um, they, they turn to him because he, he can't speak still he gets a tablet and what does he say 
His name is John. His name is John. It's like, this is the way it is. Breaking tradition. There's something new. There's something really unexpected about this. And you can imagine the shock in the whole room that this has happened. Now, before the rumours get too far out of control, immediately something else happens. This is the third unexpected thing that happens here. Immediately, his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak. Remember, this is after nine months, the whole pregnancy, Zachariah hasn't been able to speak at all. And all of a sudden, in front of everybody, his friends and family, he's able to speak, and he's praising God. Can you imagine? What the angel said has come true. We had a son, like the angel said. We've named him John, like the angel said. My tongue has come back, like the angel said. He's proclaiming the goodness of God's faithfulness. Everything's happening as God said. He's praising God in that moment. And what are all the neighbours and the friends saying, sitting here in the service? Wow, can you, can you believe what we just saw? These are miracles. Our old friends, old friends who couldn't have a child for all these years, been barren. Now in their old age, they've had a child. And instead of going with tradition, naming Zachariah, they Listen to the angel. An angel had a That's another miracle. An angel was involved in this. God's involved. And they've said, name him John. And now we've seen Zachariah. We've known Zachariah's trying to communicate on his little board the right messages. But now he can speak immediately. Wow, God's been a part of this. All this is totally unexpected, like signs from God. Something is happening here. And what do you think their friends and family are going to do? If you've just experienced a story like this that's happened right in front of your very eyes, they start telling people. Because we're told that throughout the hill country and all of Judea, and, and Judea, so it's all the countryside, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking what then is this child going to be? What does this mean if God was involved with the birth of this child? For the Lord's hand was with him. You see that there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of wonder, there's a sense of awe at God, there's a sense of curiosity. What does this mean? What is this going to do? The anticipation, the build-up of what's, this, what's about to unfold is, is just getting to a high point. It reminds me a little bit when you go to a concert you know when you go to a concert or a performance, uh, you get to the, a stage like this, I'm not sure whether your school has school concerts like this, and there's a curtain across the front, this picture's maybe a bit glamorous, uh, but you get the idea if you go to a theatre, we don't have a curtain across here, but you can imagine a curtain across here, and you rock up to a concert, uh, you've got to be there early because somebody in your family's involved and they go out the back and you're just sitting, waiting for the concert to start. You, there's some excitement, you hope it's going to be good because it's a kid's concert that the school's putting on. You hope it's going to be good, you're just there for your child, let's face it. But the anticipation is like, well, we'll just have to wait and see, but we're waiting waiting for us to start because you've got to get there early and the aircon's not working and you're hot and you flick open your phone and you start scrolling because we're just not sure when this thing's going to start or how good's it going to be and you're kind of just waiting like these people, just waiting for something to happen. And then all of a sudden, the lights come onto the stage. All of a sudden, your attention is drawn to the front of the stage to say something is about to happen. And it's, this is what Luke is doing. As Luke tells the story about 
the lead up to Christmas. It's like we're on the stage of human history. That's right, all human history happens on this stage and everybody's watching and everybody's waiting. It's going, well, is it anything going to happen? I hope it's good. And all of a sudden the lights come on and you, go, you sit up. So all of a sudden you sit up in your seat and go, oh, something's about to happen. Finally, I hope this is going to be good. This is what John is doing, showing us, uh, this is what Luke is doing, showing us God is like putting the spotlight on this, in this moment in history. This, guy, this couple who shouldn't be having a child is having a child. An angel has told them to call it John. Its name's John. And all of a sudden, uh, the dad can start speaking after, 12, after nine months like the angel said. Everybody's like sitting up now. What's about to happen? A bit of joy. Something is happening. But it's excitement, anticipation. Watch this space. But then, what normally happens at a school concert like this? If the lights come on, a bit of a hush across the crowd, usually a teacher or the principal or somebody important comes out the front or a voice over the mic saying, the moment we've been waiting for is about to happen. So I want you to put your phones away, pay attention, sit up, because you're going to be blown away what's about to happen. You're going to love it. And they walk off the stage. And this is a time to sit up, to pay attention, put your phone away, because something great's about to happen. Now, this is what Luke shows us is about to happen next. There is an announcement to say, sit up and watch this space. And it's, who does this? It's God himself. The Holy Spirit of God comes on. We didn't read this before, but I'll read it for you. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. That's often how God communicated in Old Testament times. He got uh, one of the, the priests or holy people or prophet and spoke through them. So this is the words of God himself through Zechariah. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That means he's going to be a great king like the King David as he said through his prophets of long ago. So it's reflecting. All these promises God had said in the past is now happening. Salvation from, your, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our, to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant was another promise the oath he swore to his father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, I've put in bold a couple of points there that echoes, that makes it really obvious. God has been making a lot of promises for a long time. And if you're one of the Jews sitting there in the room, you're going, yeah, we've been waiting for these promises to be fulfilled for a long time. See, for Israel as a nation, they've gone into the promised land, they had their glory days with King David, who was a great king, a strong king, uh, gave them salvation of a kind that made them feel safe and well. But since then, in 700 BC, uh, the Assyrians come in, another big nation, come in and beat them up and drag them off into slavery. Then after that, the Babylonians come in and scattered them and punished them and used them as second-class citizens. Then after that, this is all in, in our history books. The Greeks come in. The Greeks come and treat them like just another, another people group, a nobody. 
And then the Romans. The Romans come in to build the Roman Empire and they conquer them and they just treat them, they strip them of any rights. So if you're a Jew, if, you're, if you follow God in those days, you've been beaten up for 700 years. You've had enemies on your back taking advantage of you. You've had your temple looted and then pulled apart. It's nothing left. It's like, how can we be worshippers of God if all these other nations are controlling us? And what it, it echoes all these promises. God says, no, no, I am coming. I am going to rescue you. It's all going to be good. I'm just going to pull one up here now. It's actually from the prophet Zechariah, not the dad Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. And he paints a picture like this, Zechariah 10 verse 6, where God says through him, it's another prophet, I will strengthen Judah, this is a part of Israel, I will strengthen Judah and save them from the, uh, save the tribes of Joseph. They're all God's people. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like warriors and their hearts will be as glad as with wine. Do you like that line? Their hearts will be as glad as like with wine. Uh, and their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will, rede I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. This is a great picture, isn't it? Of a nation that's been beaten up and dragged around and lots of dark days. That God's saying, no, I'm going to come as the redeemer, as a rescuer. I'm going to bring joy to your hearts. For you, for your children, going to make you as numerous, a big group of people. I'm going to do this. One of the problems, though, is this was over 500 years ago, for the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth and baby John. This promise was made over 500 years ago, and they've been waiting and waiting for a long time for this to happen, for the Redeemer to come, for them to be rescued. All these promises. All these promises have been coming and coming. As when? When? But now we see the Holy Spirit has come onto the scene, walked onto the stage and said, hang on a minute, what we've all been waiting for, it's about to happen. Put your phones down, look to the front because this is going to be great. You're going to love what's about to happen. All those promises that God had made is coming to fulfillment right here, right now, at this time, at this time in history, on this stage. Watch because it's going to be great. And as he does that, we, we're drawn to this. What's it going to be like? And if you're there in the room, you've just seen uh, baby John baptised or um, circumcised and given a name, and you're starting to hear this coming of this king, this saviour that's going to come and rescue his people. Is this what baby John is going to be like? Is John going to be the one who's going to deliver his people to save us? But then Zechariah, in his prophecy through the Holy Spirit, goes on. There's a second part to it. And he goes, no, no, no. Little John, he's not the main character of the story. In fact, little John, he's like the guy who's just going to pull the curtains to open up so we can see the main character. Listen to how he explains it from verse 76. He says, and you, my child, looking at John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. It means you're going to be pointing to the Most High One for Jesus when he comes on the scene. For you would go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him. Another Old Testament prophecy. Look, if you know your Old Testament, there's just all these Old Testament prophecies, all going, look for this sign. He's going, this sign is here. 
to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. A little bit of Psalm 73 there. When you feel like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God guides us through to the end. John is not the one. He's not the guy that's going to do it, but he's going to point to the guy who's doing it. John's going to be waiting on the edge of the stage, and if you've seen the way those curtains work, you've got to pull on this rope to wind back the curtains. John's going to be the one to, sh to show you who is the main character, so you can watch for all human history, for all humanity to see who is this king, who is this saviour, who is this one who's going to light up the world for us all. Now, this is a interesting metaphor that's worth just looking at to see the anticipation because this is something the prophet Isaiah talked about over 500 years ago listen to how he explains this moment when he says arise so this is 500 years before the birth of Jesus over 500 years arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. See what he's saying? There's going to be a moment that in this darkness, when the world feels like it's out of control, when your life feels out of control, when it feels like there's no light for hope, no light for certainty, there's going to be a time where God is going to send someone and he is going to shine light over the world. Can't wait for that day. Again, 500 years they've been waiting. And now through, through the Holy Spirit, through Zechariah talking about his son John, he says he's going to be the one introducing this light. This light. This performance is about to start. Can you imagine? We haven't met Jesus yet. The performance hasn't started. We haven't met the main character yet. But you can imagine if you're sitting in the audience waiting for something to happen. These guys have been waiting 500 years. Waiting. Is God going to keep true to his promises? When? All of a sudden, the lights shine on the stage. We see the old couple have their child. Name the child, Zacchaeus, uh, Zachariah starts to speak again. The lights are on, they get our attention. The Holy Spirit comes on the stage, says, this is going to be great, put down your phones, you're going to love what's about to happen. Everything that God's been promising is about to be fulfilled on this stage, at this moment in history. And then uh, Zachariah says, this boy John, John's going to be the one, a great man, a prophet, pointing to the one, the great one. He's going to open the curtains for us to see him. It's all anticipation of what's about to happen. What's this king going to be like? What's this saviour going to be like? How's he going to deal with my sin and restore holiness? How's he going to bring me righteousness? How's he going to rescue me from my enemies? How's he going to shine light into my world when my world is so dark? This is the anticipation of Christmas. It's filled with joy because they can't wait. They've been told to watch out, put your phones away, don't get distracted. Don't get busy. You need to watch what's going to happen here. This is what they're saying. So when it comes to Christmas, Luke is trying to say, this is not just celebrating the birthday of an ancient figure. 
you know, a guy who got born 2,000 years ago, let's remember him by having a day off and share some presents and some food. It's not just remembering Jesus' birthday, but this is a moment in human history to say, this is going to change the world. This is going to change everything. It's going to change us. So maybe when we get too consumed with uh, the busyness of buying presents and buying, uh, sorting out the food and catching up with people, all good and nice things, but sometimes we forget about why we're doing it. That we're actually remembering a moment in history that they looked forward to and we can look back on to say God answered his promises and is continuing to answer his promises through Jesus. That it's more than a birthday party, but it's when God comes to people. But the problem is, will people be too busy to see it? Are we on our phones? Are we wrapped up in our presents, our food, in our catching up? To miss the joy of this moment that we're remembering, that we're celebrating, that God come into our world as the light to hide our, to, to overwhelm the darkness, to get us through. So maybe I was thinking about this, how, how do we celebrate that? How do we reflect on that? And I was thinking maybe in the busyness of this week coming up to Christmas that we actually take a moment and consider what would our world look like if Jesus didn't come, if God didn't come into the world, onto the world stage? How would our world be different? Would it be like how the Jews were living in those days, that we're under another nation, that we're being beat up, second-class citizens? How would it look like if Jesus didn't come into my world? What would I be like? That I wouldn't know what grace is like. That I wouldn't know what God's love is like. That I wouldn't know what forgiveness is like. What would it be like if Jesus didn't come? And all of a sudden it does fill you with joy. Thank God that God is true to his promises. Thank God that he sent Jesus into our world. Thank God that he entered my world. Or maybe you haven't experienced Jesus for yourself. You haven't experienced Jesus shine his light into your world to overcome the darkness. That that problem of sin is still there, that you keep going back, that it's controlling you, it's, it's mastering you, and you don't know what it means to, to even be holy or to be righteous or to be right with God. That maybe this Christmas is a time to go, maybe I should look at what we've been celebrating for some 2,000 years. God come into the world, but what does it mean for God to come into my life through Jesus? What does that mean? All of a sudden, I find joy. I find joy that I can turn from my darkness, my dark days and my dark ways, and I can see the light, and I can know God, and I can come to him in confidence. That's where the joy is. That's where the joy is. So let me encourage you as we move towards next weekend, Christmas Day, Start thinking about not just a birthday party for Jesus, but the reason, the fact that he did come into our world. Let me pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for your great love, your mercy and your compassion on us. Lord, we can look at the, the Jews, the Israelites back in the day and go, man, you guys copped it, but you deserved it because you rebelled against God, you disobeyed him, you didn't take him seriously. But Lord, we know in our own hearts that we too disobey you. We don't take you seriously. And Lord, in this season, we can again get caught up in the busyness and stress of the Christmas season that we don't think of you. 
We don't celebrate you or find the joy in you coming into our world and you coming into our lives. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to meditate on the fact of your great love for us is the reason we can have joy. That you didn't just talk it, you didn't just promise it, but you did it. You entered into our world. Lord, help us to draw near to you this season and find the joy, find the joy in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. story my father's plan the son has rescued me oh what a gospel what a peace my highest joy and my deepest need now and forever he is my life i stand in the gospel of jesus christ One gospel to which I cling, all else I count as lost. For there, where justice and mercy meet, He saved me on the cross. No more I boast in what I can bring. No more I carry the weight of sin. For He has brought me. From death to life, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel where hope is found, the empty tomb still speaks. <laughs>
of Jesus Christ. I say in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please go ahead. Let me pray for us as we go out to birthday week. Lord God, thank you for sending the long promised king for sending into us a world full of rough 